It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 Three one three eight one four five six seven, or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And we welcome you to the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, January 26, 2017. Thank you for joining us on the program tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is here. Hello, Dad. Jacob, great to be with you tonight. Glad to be with you as well. And uh, we have a guest with us tonight uh, over in the corner. We put him in the corner tonight, but uh, we look forward to hearing from you. My father-in-law, Nick Law, is here. Hello, Nick. Hello. It's good to be with you all tonight. Glad to have you here. And uh, Kyle's behind the board. Kyle, welcome to the program. It's good to be here. Got a, got a full room tonight. So we're looking forward to the discussion. Looking forward to hearing from you. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com are the ways you contact us. And if you want to send an instant message, it's in the chat window at the bottom of your video feed. If you're listening to us live tonight and watching our video feed, if you're not, maybe you listen to the podcast, uh, try that live uh, feed sometime uh, on a Thursday night at 8 Central, 9 Eastern. We look forward to having you join us live on the Virtual Bible Study. And, uh, well, we've got a special event coming up this weekend. One more time to get that word out there for those who are in the... Middle Tennessee area. If you're within a driving distance of Columbia, Northern Tennessee, Alabama, Northern Southern Alabama, Kentucky, Southern Kentucky, anywhere in Middle Tennessee, uh, we're having a special event on Saturday and Sunday this week. Ken McDaniel from Springfield, Illinois, is going to be with us. We've asked him to concentrate his uh, sermons, and I think especially the sermons on Saturday are going to be directed toward young people, although we're asking everybody to come, not just young people. And it's going to be at 4 o'clock on Saturday afternoon, 7 o'clock on Saturday evening. And then Ken will speak to us at our regular time, Sunday morning, 9.30 and 10.30. We'll have our evening service at 2.30 in the afternoon. Ken is working with a new congregation in Springfield, Illinois, trying to get a new congregation just uh, sort of built from scratch. Uh, the church here is helping and supporting Ken to do that preaching work in Springfield. And so, well, he's never been here, and most of us have not met him, and so we're looking forward to it. All right. Uh, be, uh, if you can, make sure to join in. Well, you sort of let the cat out of the bag last week, but uh, we will put those in the podcast feed. You'll definitely want to listen to those, especially if you have young people. Point them in that direction. Uh, check the podcast feed. Lord willing, next week for those studies to be posted. Looking forward to our discussion tonight. One more thing, some new bumper stickers. I don't think we got the word out on that last night. Oh, last yeah. Week. I think we just got those since last week. Uh, we've got a new bumper sticker. Or maybe we did mention this last week. We've still got a few of the ones that are oval-shaped, like a like if you ran a marathon or a half right. marathon. Right. They're about that right. size. Right. That, that advertise the virtual size. We've got some new ones. I really kind of like them. They're neat. They're very clean. They're about 12 inches long, but they're only about an inch high. Yeah. Uh, and both of them are of the removable uh, variety, variety yeah. so they're not going to tear up your car. But I, I always like to just put them on the back window glass anyway. They, I think they're more visible there, and they and they come off cleanly. And but we can get you either one or both. Send us an email to questions at collegeview.com. Yeah, I think some folks have been getting those, so get them uh, get them while you can. Questions at collegeview.com. All right, now on to the discussion at hand. Uh, some questions that have been submitted by our listeners we on like the program this. tonight. We do, this. we do this pretty often. I wonder, Jake, if we went back and looked. I think we probably do this four or five times a year. Yep. We, we save up questions. They are questions, really good questions, but typically not the kind of question that you could probably spend a whole hour talking about. So we just kind of save up several and put them together. I think our listeners uh, appreciate these uh, discussions as much as anything based upon our responses. Yeah. People enjoy uh, studying these issues. So, yeah. yeah. So, but But... To have programs like this, you've got to contribute. That's right. If you guys want to have that kind of a program, you've got to be sending us That's your right. questions. Yeah, so. use that email. All right. So three interesting, four interesting four. questions tonight. One's, a two, one's got two. One's a it's from, it's from five, four different 
uh, listeners, but one listener asked two questions. Okay. So we got five questions to deal with, uh, so we'll have to move right along to get them all in. Timothy is in the chat room. He uh, submitted question number three. Looking forward to the discussion about that. And yeah. uh, guest 826 says, we have been studying the prodigal son in regards to a wayward family member. Thank you for the study a few weeks ago. Yeah, Thank you for that, 826. Yeah, that's what we talked about last week, in fact, and uh, I thought that was an important study. Not an easy one, but an important one. Yep. Thank you for that, 826. All right. Uh, uh, sh- are you going to give the questions now? Or are we, uh, uh, let's just go at them one at a time because some of them are kind of longer. So let's just take the first one, which is the shortest. Okay. Uh, very interesting, and you hear it asked relatively often. Please exchange, uh, Please explain Genesis 6, 1 through 4. And specifically, is this describing possibly angels producing children with human women? Let me read it for you. Genesis 6, verse 1, It came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men which were of old, men of renown. Okay. Now, the the reason why this question is asked, I'm sure, is because there are those who explain this to say that this was a situation in which angelic beings or spirit beings uh, were actually having relationship with human women and producing offspring and that accounts for why there were giants, that maybe these giants were some of the offspring of those inter- interrelations. Uh, but at least, you know, it's the explanation is offered that that's what's being described here. And, uh, Nick, we were talking earlier tonight, uh, you th- know at least uh, one commentator who may be responsible for propagating some of this uh, theory. Yeah, if I remember correctly, Adam Clark in his commentary makes that argument pretty yeah. positive, and I think a lot of people read that and they come away from that because really there's nothing in the scripture that ever mentions about angels and human beings coming together here we see the sons of god are just talking about the descendants of adam Uh, adam is the son of god and And i think part of children i think part of that has to be there's because of the fact that there there's giants in this context so it gives us mystical maybe it's like superhuman offspring because there was an angel and yeah but what nick said you know there's the only thing we do know about angels is Jesus said they neither marry nor are given in marriage. That's you know, right. if you wanted to know what what do you know about angels in regards to marrying or having relationships? Matthew Jesus was the one 30. who said they yep. don't marry or, and are not given in marriage. Right. right. Uh, so I'm I'm like you. I just think that I sometimes people like to latch on to sort of bizarre things or mysterious things, you know, and and of course that happens on on, on regards to lots of topics, but. I'm, I agree with uh, uh, Nick that it just seems to me that this, if I said to you today, and I was, we were talking about maybe a guy, you know, that we knew, and we said, he's a son of God. What would you think I meant by that? Yeah. You would just think I meant he's one who serves God. He's a, he's, he's a, he's a spiritual man who tries to live for God in his life. He's a son of God. He's, a, he's obeyed the scripture. He's, he's, he's a, an obedient believer. And I really think that that's just what, is meant by sons of God in this context. If you go back to chapter 4 in verse 25 of Genesis, Adam knew his wife again and she bare a son. Of course, this is after the Cain and Abel uh, situation. It says, Adam knew his wife again and she bare a son, called his name Seth. For God, said she, hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel, whom Cain slew. And to Seth, to him also was born a son, and he called his name Enos, then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. I think that's the key expression there. Men began, what what would they be known as then if they were calling upon the name? They'd be known as the sons of God, just like we would use that expression today. And, I, and so I think that's what uh, is the meaning of this. Uh, and nowhere in the context does it say the, re- the resulting offspring of this sons of God, daughters of men relationship was a giant. It doesn't. It doesn't connect the giants to that. No. Supposedly, it says religion. there were giants on the earth in those days, and also afterward when the sons of men came. So it doesn't. It, that, that doesn't. Isn't and, a necessity that the resulting offspring was a giant. And I tell you what else is interesting. This, of course, is way before Noah's flood. 
There were giants after Noah's flood, too. You know, uh, Goliath was a giant among the Philistines, mm-hmm. and he had kinfolks who were giants. There were giants in the land of Canaan when the spies went in to oh, spy yeah. it out, right. and it scared the spies. So are we to believe that those giants, if these giants were produced by angels having relations with human women, would that be the same? No, I don't know anybody who makes that argument, but there were giants then, too. Right. So there were just giants in those times. There was, there was just a strain of giants. That's all we know. But I think it's interesting. Uh, go back to chapter 6 again. So we read the first four verses that are in question. But notice verse 5. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented God that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him at his heart. Uh, I will utterly destroy man whom I have created, both man and beast. Well, it doesn't say anything about angels. You know, Uh, back up in verse 3. My spirit shall not always strive with man. Not my spirit, I will not always strive with angels. God credited this all to man, what man was doing. You know, if there were angels involved, they're not mentioned. God's wrath is not expressed toward the angels who are participating in that. Yeah, right. So I just don't think it's in that text at all. You've got to do a lot of reaching to come to that conclusion. Not going to get it from the context. Yeah. We might would say, too, in the New Testament, Hebrews 2, you know, it mentions that Christ died. And he tasted of death for every man. And all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If you had some mixture like that, and it, it points out clearly, and especially in the New King James Version, he never gave aid to angels. And these, if that, if that theory was, uh, something in the scripture, it would show that God did not provide a sacrifice for anyone who was mixed in with angels. Yeah. You know, cause Peter says that angels are reserved for judgment. And there's nothing ever said about angels who have fallen from their uh, right place with God that God's ever uh, going to save them. Never gave them a second chance so, like he has that's right. man. That's right. Yeah. And you know, in, in Hebrews there in the early chapters, uh, talking about Jesus, thou madest him a little lower than the angels and crowned him with glory and honor and did set him over the works of thy hands. Uh, men are lower than angels. Men are not the same as angels. And it, it's it would be absolutely and completely speculative to believe that angels even could interbreed with humans. It, they are not of the same kind at all. So it's just it's just a it's speculation without basis, and I think wrong. I, I I don't I don't even think we can say maybe. I think we just say absolutely that is not true. And that well, and from what we know of angels, they're not sexual beings. Right. At least not in they're right. not marrying. Uh, Matthew twenty two verse thirty. So. Um, yeah, we just so too much speculation uh, in that. Uh, Harold from uh, Troy, Alabama, says the sons of God seem to be those of Seth's descendants. It was during the time of Enos, Seth, uh, as uh, of Enos and Seth, uh, as sons that men uh, began to call in the name of the Lord. Genesis four twenty five. The daughters of men, I believe, are the descendants of Cain. God said He would put enmity between the seed of woman and the seed of Satan. Those seeds can be traced throughout the scriptures, even up to the days of our Lord, when he said to those Jews that believe on him that Satan was their father. Okay. So I think I think Harold's saying the same thing we're saying. You know, that there were what were there in the world in those days? There were people who followed God and people who didn't. Same as today. And and when the people who had devoted themselves to following God then began to compromise and 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 develop close relationships with those who did not serve God. We were just studying in our Bible class last night about Solomon. Why is Solomon? What happened to why Solomon? He, his heart turned from God because he began to, to have relationship with people who weren't. Good uh, question. And uh, appreciate your response to that, Harold. And uh, let's get a break. When we get back, We've got a question from Tennessee, a couple of questions from Tennessee. The first one, why did Jesus teach using parables? You may know the answer to that. If you do, sign in the chat room or give us a call, 877-381-4567. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study will continue right after this. Did you hear what they just said? Call in during this break and let everyone know what you think. The Virtual Bible Study continues after this announcement. 
Hi, I'm Anthony Petrochko, a member of the College View Church of Christ. Thanks for listening to the virtual Bible study. We want to remind you that our website, www.collegeview.com or www.thevirtualbiblestudy.com, has lots of valuable study tools available for your use. First, you can find archives of all our past programs there. We've covered a wide variety of topics, including doctrinal issues, moral and ethical questions, and many things related to living daily as a Christian. And while we don't have a search engine option on our website, remember that you can hit Control-F and type in a keyword. You'll then see that keyword highlighted on the page. For instance, if you hit Control-F and typed in the word worship, you'd find these past programs that we've conducted. Does it matter how we worship? What about contemporary worship and hand clapping? Our worship, pleasing to God or pleasing to man, and instrumental music in worship. That's just an example, but you get the idea as to how the webpage can be used to help in your study of various subjects. Also remember that we have copies of our church bulletin on the website, and these bulletins include articles on hundreds of topics. You'll also find some recorded sermons, some Bible tracts, as well as information about the College View Church. So be sure to check out the valuable resources on our website. Again, the address is collegeview.com or thevirtualbiblestudy.com. And thanks again for listening to the Virtual Bible Study. Be sure to tell others. Here's some quotes worth pondering. No man can climb beyond the limitations of his own character. You can't get too much done in life if you only work on the days when you feel good. The tongue is a deadly weapon, whether it be blunt or sharp. Man, wish I'd said that. A streaming Bible study. Why didn't I think of that? Now back to the guys. We're back on the program tonight as we look at various listener questions. We're coming back to Tennessee for a couple questions now. Yeah, the first one is, is I think, a really uh, an interesting one, but I think it's very answerable. Why did Jesus teach using parables? Well, we actually have the disciples asking that question yeah. uh, and, and Jesus telling them why. In Matthew chapter 13, beginning verse 10, the disciples came and said to him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? So there's, there's almost a verbatim question, and yeah. Jesus answers. Yeah. He answered, said to them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. For whosoever hath, to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not, from him shall it be taken away even that that he hath. Yep. Therefore speak I to them in parables, because they seeing see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. So Jesus said, I'm teaching in this way because the people who really want it will be perceptive to this form of teaching, and the ones who are not won't be. You know, maybe as an example of that sort of thing, although it's not in a parable, in the Sermon on the Mount, remember Jesus said, If thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out, cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. If thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. Oh, yeah, Jesus is teaching physical mutilation. You know, uh, Christians Christians are to practice bodily mutilation to serve the Lord. No, we understand what he's saying there. He's saying put aside anything. It would be better to give up anything than to lose your soul in hell. We understand the the concept that Jesus was teaching, but the, the those who don't want to accept that, will make some crazy accusation that Jesus was one who taught bodily mutilation. And I think that's what Jesus is saying here. To the people who want to receive these things, who have an, who are attuned to these spiritual messages, they'll get it. And the ones who don't, they're not going to get they're it. Not, he's not going to force you with the way he presents yeah. it. Yeah. Now, some might say, well, there you have God being a respecter of persons. There you have God picking who he wants to understand it. And who he doesn't want to understand. He he said it in such a way that these people would understand it, but these those people to be saved, and he wanted those people to be lost. In the chat room, Philip references later on in that context. The next verse, I think, or two verses down from where you finished reading in Matthew 13, verse 15. For this people's heart is waxed, waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. Jesus wasn't making it so they couldn't hear. They could if they wanted to, but they had closed their eyes and yeah. their ears had become dull of hearing. It's on the listener, not on Jesus, is why they couldn't understand it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think of the parable. It, it, it really means something that's laid alongside of. So they were designed so that people could comprehend, uh, we human beings, uh, the physical things that are, are laid forth, like in the parable of the sower, people understand those things 
in this life, and we can understand the spiritual lessons that are being taught there. That, that's exactly right. And, and I think one one answer I would give to this question of Jesus teaching parables, because he was the master teacher, and this is a masterful way of teaching. Right. I mean, it, who does who cannot easily remember the parable of the Good Samaritan or the one we were talking about last week, the parable of the prodigal son? You know, the the, the parables were just a masterful way of teaching. Jesus taught because he was that way, because he was the master teacher and knew how effective it could and would be. There's one other thing. It's also in that same chapter we were looking at earlier, Matthew chapter 13. Another reason why Jesus taught in parables was because it was prophesied that he would. Um, in Matthew 13, verse 33, another parable spake unto them, the kingdom of heaven is likened to leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal, and the whole was leavened. All these things spake Jesus unto the multitude in parables, and without a parable spake he not unto them, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things which have been kept secret from the foundation of the world. That's a, that, that prophecy of the Messiah is in Psalm 78, verse 2. But I, I think another reason, another answer you could give to the question, why did Jesus speak in parables? Because he was fulfilling all prophecies regarding the Messiah, and that was one of them. All right. And to this question, uh, Harold in uh, Troy, Alabama, says uh, Luke, he references Luke 8, verses 9 and 10, cross-referencing uh, Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, to test the hearts of the sincere. It would. And certainly it would. It would, yeah. You know, uh, what we were saying a minute ago, uh, Mark 12, verse 37 says, the common people heard him gladly. He, that's who he was trying to appeal to. He wasn't, he wasn't you know, uh, trying to reach people who were elitists who didn't want his message. He was trying to reach the common people who desired the salvation that he was offering. And I guess the takeaway here is if you uh, if you want to believe an error, and if you don't want to see the truth, God's not going to keep you from that, Nick. Yeah, one of the this is this shows us is as we study the Bible, we must study yes, the context of what we read here in Matthew 13 or Mark's account or Luke's account. But if you if you look to the whole context of the Bible, it's going back as Harold pointed out to the book of Isaiah. And if you read Isaiah 1, you see God says, Come, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Yeah. And yet the people were, he says, you know, oxen uh, understand where the crib is, and donkeys listen to their masters, but my people won't listen. And if you listen to that context, he's dealing with people in Isaiah that it closed their ears, closed their eyes, and that's what Jesus is quoting from in this yeah. New Testament. So that, yeah. that's a reason to study of the immediate context, and really the whole Bible context is important and why we should study the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. I think you're right. To get a good comprehension of that. Yeah, I think you're right. All right. All right. Let's go on to the next question. Okay, now this is from the same questioner in Tennessee. He says, if babies and children are not under the curse of Adam from birth, how is it that children and babies die? The absence of sin would also mean the absence of death. Adam and Eve would have would not have died had they not sinned. Jesus himself would be alive as a man on earth had he not been crucified and if he had continued to live sinlessly. So I take it that our questioner believes in inherited sin, that we inherit the, the, the guilt of Adam's sin. Uh, uh, the way it's worded, he believes we're under the curse of Adam, the curse of Adam's sin, the guilt, I take it that he means the guilt. We bear the guilt of Adam's sin from birth. And the and and to prove that says, well, babies die. And you have to be a sinner to die. If you never sinned, you would never die. Now, that's the I think that's the, the heart of the matter. Now, that's an assumption. Well, it is true that if Adam and Eve had not sinned, they would not have died. And the reason being is because they had access to the tree of life. In the Garden of Eden. When they sinned, they were expelled from the garden. They were excluded from the access to the tree of life. And therefore, they began to die. Yeah. We die because we don't have access to the tree of life either. And that doesn't matter whether we sin or not. We just are, we just are in a world that does not have access to the tree of life. And, and therefore, we die. It's interesting that in the last chapters of Revelation, man is granted entrance to 
the tree of life again or access to the tree of life again uh, in eternity. But the reason why we die is not because uh, the reason Adam and Eve died. Uh, I think he's right. They would have continued to live indefinitely as long as they hadn't sinned because they were there in the garden. They had access to the tree of life. But once they were expelled from the garden and mankind as a whole lost access to that tree of life, we die. Yeah, I think it's, it's not a, our sin. I'm, I'm saying it's not our sin or theirs. Uh, it's, it's a consequence, a, it's a of, consequence. Their sin, of their sin, but it's not our sin. I think it's it. important that we learn that we realize that there's two kinds of death. The promise that God made there in, in Genesis chapter two, when He was forbidding the, the eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, uh, in verse seventeen of chapter two, but the, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in that day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Did they die the day that they ate of that tree? Yeah, they did. They, they surely death. died. They surely died the day they ate of that tree, and it was a spiritual death. Yeah. That is much more serious than the physical death, which was a consequence. Yeah. But uh, it is uh, it is not. I, I don't think it's necessarily the, the the promise that God made there in Genesis two verse seventeen. Um, in First Corinthians fifteen verse twenty two. What did I write now? Fifteen twenty two. First Corinthians fifteen twenty two. Where am I here? Here we go. Um, or as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. So we we suffer a consequence of Adam's death, or, or Adam's sin, rather, and that is that all die. So physically we all die. That's what that's the consequence of what Adam did. Spiritually we can all be made alive. That's the consequence of what Jesus did. But we do not die spiritually because Adam sinned. We do not. We are not dead spiritually because of Adam's sin. We die physically because Adam's sin, but we don't die spiritually because Adam's sin. Uh, in the chat room, go ahead, uh, Nick. I was thinking Romans five verse twelve makes clear what you just said when it says, "Therefore, just as one man sinned, entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned." Yeah. And so the reason the the spiritual, spiritual death, death takes yeah. place. Is all men sin? Christ did not. Christ did not sin spiritually, but yet he died physically, as as he pointed out. Children die, and a lot of a lot of people die (laughs) uh, because they are in automobile wrecks and other things. And that's the that's just the nature and the limit uh, of this world uh, on human beings. God has God has said that you know we're going to die. It's not if. That's an interesting yeah, point you make, because the questioner says that Jesus himself would be alive as a man on this earth had he not been crucified, and he continued to live sinless. Jesus died. But Yeah, and I, I underlined that, and I said he he actually stated something that proves the, the, the error of his position. The fact that Jesus died proves that death is not of necessity the consequence of your own sins. He said babies die, therefore babies must have sin, because you don't die if you don't have sin. Well, Jesus died, and he didn't have sin, and so the, he shouldn't have brought that up because what that proves is that death is not necessarily a consequence of your own sin. Yeah. When babies die, it is not a consequence of their own sin. He, he actually proved his own point in error when he brought up about Jesus. Because Jesus did die. Yeah, but not as a consequence of his own sin. Right. Babies die but not as a consequence of their own sin. Uh, so if someone crucified a baby, it would die, or, or they're killed in automobile wrecks, or and sometimes they yeah. die of abortion, abortion or, yeah. or, or even disease. Yeah. So that's the but world not, in which we live. That's right. But and not because not, of their sin, per that's se. That's right. It's not their sin that causes it. Exactly and right. And Philip in the chat room says, uh, consider what the wise man said in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, a time to be born and a time to die. And in Ecclesiastes 7, verse 2, it is, a, it is better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of mirth, for our life is as a vapor, our days are numbered, and besides these thoughts uh, is the consequence of sin. Uh, and Jeff says, it's appointed men once to die, but after this a judgment, Hebrews 9, verse 27, Philip says, Ecclesiastes, he references Ecclesiastes chapter 18, verse 20, the soul that sinneth, it shall die, the son shall not bear the iniquity of the father, neither shall the father bear the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. And uh, Timothy says, references Hebrews 10, verse 26, speak, uh, speaks of sinning willfully. Who says that my 27-year-old, my 27-day-old baby sinned? Uh, okay, thank you, Timothy, for that. Uh, certainly we don't uh, believe that the the infants are, are born in sin. Um, 
A couple of passages that we often cite in reference to the idea of babies inheriting the sins of their forefathers all the way back to Adam. Jesus said in Matthew 18, 3, except you be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Well, if little children are bound up in sin, that that statement wouldn't make any sense. We're to become like they are. Well, if they're all burdened down in sin, that doesn't even make sense. The fact is, they're not burdened in sin. We need to become innocent as they are innocent through receiving salvation. The, the idea Christ of total, de- total hereditary depravity means that you're totally deprived. There's nothing that you can do that is good. What part of a totally deprived person should we imitate? If Jesus yeah. said we're supposed to become like the little children, yeah. what part of their character should we imitate? Yeah. If they're totally depraved, it doesn't make any sense. Exactly. We notice again in Matthew 18 where Jesus brings that up about us becoming like little children, but it says in verse 6, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin. So the little ones he's talking about uh, are are capable of believing, you know, and we see infants who are not even capable yeah. of believing, yeah. and yet they die yeah. because even at the hands of men or other other disasters. In Romans yeah. chapter 9, uh, Paul says that he was alive once without the law, but when the law came, or when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. So Paul realized that he was not born with an inherited sin, that he was alive spiritually at one yeah. point until he reached a point where he could understand the commandments, and then by uh, that time he disobeyed the commandments and sin revived and he died. Yeah. Tim, Tim, in the chat room, I didn't know this, Tim, sorry for your loss. He had a baby that died five years ago. He, and, but I agree with you, Tim. My, he says, my baby is in paradise, not, not in heaven, until Jesus Christ comes again. But what a comfort it is to know that a, an an innocent child is in a safe place. What a comfort. Well, and those who believe in this idea of inherited sin have a real problem when it comes to that. How do you deal with that concept? How do you just? How do you reconcile that in your mind? Yeah, that baby, those who believe that would have to say, that baby's lost without hope. Never, never was old enough to respond to the gospel. It's a big problem. And so th- 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 they would have to argue that that baby died in a hopeless state because it never could have responded to the gospel call if it wanted to. And, and therefore... I mean, that, that's just a miserable doctrine. To get around this, the Catholics have developed the idea of limbo, that it's not heaven, it's not hell, it's limbo, and uh, your the babies go there. It simply is uh, a totally fabricated doctrine. Nothing, Absolutely no place in the Scripture teaches that. And uh, so it is a problem if we believe in that. How do you deal with that idea of, of, of the babies who are born with uh, no opportunity to obey? All right, we have run over time. Uh, let's see, quickly... Uh, did we get anything? No, we have nothing. Uh, let's see. Oh, yeah. From Bob in Indiana, there was a reply. Yeah. Uh, uh, Genesis, in, in regards to this question of, of uh, men inheriting the sins of Adam, Genesis 3.22 says, Now lest he reach out his and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden. He placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Sin put him out of the garden and no access to be able to eat of the tree of life equals death. Yeah, I agree, Bob. In fact, that's what we were saying earlier. I think I think that's exactly right. Why do men die? Well, not because necessarily that they sin, because some men die, babies die, Having never sinned, Jesus died having never sinned. But men die because they live in a world that does not have access to the tree of life. All right. Uh, and uh, David's sentiment is one that uh, Timothy and others can take uh, comfort in, and not if you believe in the idea of inherited sin. But uh, certainly David did not, and he said after his infant child died, now he is dead, wherefore shall I fa- should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him but he shall not return to me. David wasn't looking forward to re- being reunited with his child in hell. No. He was being looking did, forward did, to being reunited with him in heaven. Did we get Harold's comment on this? Uh, he, 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 he said, all humans are confronted with the consequences of sin, physical death, referencing Romans 5, Nick, that you were mentioning, 12, verses 12 and 13. But babies and all the innocent do not suffer spiritual death, which is separation from God, or eternal condemnation, Romans five fourteen through twenty one. Okay, now there's a lot of consequences if you believe that if you if you uh, deny the idea of inherited sin, there's a lot of consequences doctrinally because that uh, sort of upsets the apple cart, so to speak, and a lot of these Calvinistic doctrines. If you don't, if you if you discount and deny that first premise of Calvinism, a lot of the other dominoes of that doctrine begin to fall. Yeah, but certainly it's uh, it's very indefensible. 
uh, when we look at these passages. Yeah. All right, we're going to get a break and get this week's bullet point. When we get back, we'll take your thoughts. Uh, we're going down to Texas next for a brother who gets pulled over by a police officer. The police officer says, I'm searching your car. He says, fat chance. What do you think about that? Yeah, this is interesting. This is going to, you're going to stay tuned. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. These guys are doing all of the talking. We need to hear from you. Call in now. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. In this age of modern media, we have unprecedented opportunities to look at, listen to, and participate in evil things. And with the rapid advance of technology, we can engage in these evil things with relative anonymity. In years gone by, if there was a desire to engage in these sordid and sinful activities, it was necessary to go out in public places to do so. Pornography was available, but only at newsstands and the like. Filthy movies were out there, but you had to go to a triple-X movie house to see them. No more. A person could sit in front of his computer screen and quickly access via the Internet all manner of pornography, and no one could see him do it. Chat rooms allow perverted persons the ability to openly discuss their twisted passions with total strangers, and they are out of the public view when doing so. With cable and satellite TV, it is possible to receive all manner of filthy programming and watch it right there in the privacy of your own home. This new accessibility with anonymity has already served as a downfall to many, including not a few Christians. We all need to be on guard about this powerful temptation. Never forget that God in heaven sees and knows all that you think and do. Consider these scriptures. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 14. Neither is there any creature that's not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Hebrews 4, verse 13. So, Christian, are you engaged in things that you would not want others to find out about? If so, you should know two things. First, God already knows, and secondly, in the final judgment, everyone will know, for he will, quote, bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the heart. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 5. Christian, be careful. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. Hey, Mommy. I'm too old. Um, this is the virtual Bible study. Missed a recent virtual Bible study program? Listen to any of our past programs from the archive section of our website. Now, back to the virtual Bible study. We're back on the program tonight. Remind you about that this program is brought to you by the College of Church of Christ. To find out more about us by visiting our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com. Great place to find out more information about us. If you've never been there, just picking us up on the podcast feed, maybe on iTunes. Check us out, thevirtualbiblestudy.com. And come and worship with us at the College of Church of Christ, especially this weekend. Find out more about the special event coming up this weekend at our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com. Get your bumper stickers, questions at collegeview.com, and uh, contact us anytime with something you've heard that you want to comment on. Or maybe or you want send to in a question. Question or suggestion for a future edition, questions at collegeview.com. We're doing just that on the program tonight. Going down to Texas for this interesting scenario about getting pulled over by the police. Yeah. I had a Christian brother that, uh, this is Tim. He already identified himself in the chat room. He said, I had a Christian brother recently get pulled over for speeding, and the police officer said, we're going to search your vehicle. He argued and stated that they needed a warrant. How do you feel about this? Should we obey an officer no matter what? Is respect for the law completely gone? As a Christian, do I have the moral, ethical, biblical obligation to obey those in authority? My generation and now millennials have little to no respect for the law. In Romans and Hebrews, the writer or writers discuss the idea of obligation to authority in the New Testament. Is there a contrast from the Old Testament? Obeying the letter of the law versus the New Testament is seen in Romans chapter 6 through 8. Well, first of all, uh, a couple of things just about the law. A couple different answers there to this question. Yeah, but first of all, about the law, about what officers are allowed to do. They are allowed to search your car without a warrant, but there has to be... I was looking this up today just so I could make sure I understood the principle. If you're you're drunk driving, uh, most states, I know it's true here in Tennessee... You, if you're out on the highway, that implies you're, it's called the law of implied consent. In other words, you agree to be tested for um, drunken driving. If you're on, in other words, the law says if they stop you, the very fact that you were on the road indicates that you you would be willing to be tested for drunkenness. That's the law of implied consent. That's not like searching a car. In order to search your car, 
uh, police have to have what they call probable cause. They don't have to have a warrant, but they have, they're supposedly, but there's lots of ways for them to get around it. They supposedly saw you do something, maybe throw a beer can out the window, or they, 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 they smell something, they see something in your car when they stop. They, they supposedly have to have some probable cause that would then give them the authority to search your vehicle. But, but they do have that, and they, and they effectively could do that to anybody if they chose to and just say, well, we think we, we, think we see something, we think we smell something. Certainly you'd have to submit to that. You I think you do. You couldn't, but the, and, the, and the first question is, do how do we feel about this? Should we obey an officer no matter what? Well, I think the first answer is, yeah, obey the officer. That's not to say that that's necessarily the end of the story. If the officer was uh, breaking the law himself, you have recourse subsequent to that. You know, if if you feel like your rights were violated by a police officer who was acting himself in in uh, violation of the law, you could pursue that. There's legal recourse to do that. But I think in the moment, respect for authority would say, do what he says. I'm going to tell you, they can search my car any time they want. They might find some old hamburger wrappers, mm-hmm. but they're not going to find anything else. It'll be, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, I mean, why wouldn't I, – I, again, I, I think we understand. I, I, in, in the United States, we've been raised with the idea, I have my rights, you know, and, and I'm not going to let you find – that's okay, but maybe we take that so far that we do resent the idea of an authority figure asking us to do anything. I, I agree, uh, and uh, certainly we need to respect authority. If they're violating the law, I don't know. Look, in Acts chapter 16, after uh, the, the, in the Philippian jail, when it was day, the magistrates sent to the officer saying, let these men go. So the keeper of the prison reported these words to Paul saying, "These ma- the magistrates have sent to you to let you go. And they'd been treated wrong. And he said, now depart, therefore depart and go in peace. Well, there's a there's sort of a, an officer just, telling you just, what to do. Just go. Well, what did Paul say? But Paul said, they have beaten us openly, uncondemned Romans, and have thrown us into prison. And now do they put us out secretly? No, indeed. Let them come themselves and get us out. So Paul was... Standing on his rights as a citizen, what the, the law would... would yeah, he, he had been beaten in violation of his rights as a Roman citizen. And now he's saying, we're not just going to ignore this. We're going to, let's make it right. And then, of course, the famous episode is in Acts chapter 26, uh, when you know the, they, they wanted to transport him back to Jerusalem, and there, he knew there was a plot to, to, to kill him yeah. if he went to Jerusalem. Verse 9 uh, and 10 of 25. Yeah, uh, yeah, 25. Yeah, that's right, 25, chapter 25, verses 10 and 11. Paul said, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat where I ought to be judged. To the Jews have I done no wrong, as thou very well knowest. For if I be an offender or have committed anything worthy of death, I refuse not to die. But if there be none of these things whereof these accuse me, no man may deliver me unto them. I appeal unto Caesar. So he, Paul, Paul set a precedent there, I think an apostolic precedent, that we have a right to exercise our rights as citizens. There's nothing wrong with that. And so, you know, if 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 the police violate our rights, if 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 uh, a policeman, I'm not. You know, I think we should respect the police. I think the police oh, yeah, are usually absolutely. very good, but there there's some bad police out there. We all know that. If 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 you run into one who violates the law himself, then you have recourse. And I think a lot of these people who say no, you're not going to search for is a rebellion against the authority. That yeah. uh, it's not it's not a matter of this is right and this is wrong. This, it's just rebellion against the authority, which we have to be careful about. Nick, your thoughts? Yeah, I think as y'all are saying, we we would have to know more specifics about, you know, when we would, but normally we would want the police officer, I don't have anything in my car, I'm worried about him checking out anyway. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and I don't have to live in fear, you know. Uh, yep. You know, the government, Romans 13 says, or ministers, uh, for those who do good. And so if I'm doing good, Nothing we do good. live in a society where there are wicked police officers and such. And uh, as Greg has pointed out, we have recourse, you know, when they would, uh, we, we could challenge them in, yeah. in court. Yeah. Would probably be the place and, and, to do it. But typically, the, just the common sense thing to do in the moment is submit. <laughs> and, and, right. and, and then if there's some, if there needs to be some follow up. I remember once, I don't know if I've ever told this story. I don't think so, but. Years and years and years ago, some of us were going fishing real early on a Saturday morning. We stopped at a little cafe in a small town to to get some breakfast. It was still dark. It was probably four o'clock in the morning. We're coming out of the out of the cafe, and a police officer pulls up 
and jumps out of his car and pulls his gun on us. It was get up against the building. He must have looked rough. Yeah, get get up against the building. There's Spread Eagle. I'm gonna tell you, at the moment, I wasn't gonna argue with him. I thought <laughs> I thought he was violating our rights considerably. And as a matter of fact, one of the other guys who was with us knew the police chief in that town, and he went and complained. And that officer actually ended up losing his job over that. But in the moment, I wouldn't, he had a, he had a gun on us. I wasn't gonna, I wasn't gonna argue the, the, the thing at the moment. All right. You know, Jesus says, uh, don't agree with your adversary quickly <laughs> yeah. while starting away with him. You know, if you want to live. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Troy, uh, sorry, Harold and Troy said, uh, Paul submitted to the laws of Rome and Caesar, but did, that did not mean he could not hold them accountable to those same laws. He references the passages we looked at, exactly uh, right. some of them, Acts 16, 37, 22, 25, and 23 verse 3. I think that's right. All right. Um, uh, The the last part of of the question was, in Romans and Hebrews, the writer discusses the ideas of obligation to authority in the New Testament. Is there a contrast from the Old Testament obeying the law, letter of the law, versus the New Testament as seen in Romans 6 uh, through 8? Well, I think the law that's under the contrast there in Romans 6 through 8 is the law of Moses mm-hmm. versus the law of Christ. But, of course, we do know that the law of Moses was also the law of the land. It was a civil law as well as a religious law. Uh, but I, I don't think that, that those chapters in, in Romans are necessarily as applicable to the to the question we're dealing with as, as the example that Paul set in Acts 16 and Acts 25. All right. Uh, if you want to comment in the chat room during our break, you're welcome to that. We'd look forward to your thoughts. Uh, did uh, the guy do wrong or right? By but no. Tim Tim mentions that there just seems does yeah. seem to be a, a little of to no respect for the law, and I think that's true. And I yes. think I think uh, it's a two sided corn. We 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 want the, we want the law to respect us too, but I do think the pendulum has swung way over. Uh, especially in recent years, the pendulum has swung way over to the point that law enforcement officials are not respected. Uh, you know, I, I want them there, and I want them to be doing a good job. Uh, and and they, they do a dangerous job, and they, they deserve our respect. But the Bible obligates us to be submissive. Suppose Ro- Romans 13, we didn't bring up Romans 13, but yeah. Romans 13 is very specific about that. Uh let every soul be subject to the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. And, and it goes on. Very familiar text, I know. You know, and, and that ought to be mentioned uh, in, in response to this question um, uh, in First Peter two. Verse 13, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God, that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. So we're obligated to, to submit to authority. All right. And the and authority may be doing bad things, you know. The, the, they were the, some of those that he was telling them to submit to were really bad. They're going to throw them in prison, yeah, yeah and kill them. Uh, but uh, we have to be submissive uh, to the authorities, certainly. Uh, we'll get a break. We'll take your thoughts in the chat room during the break if you'd like, or better yet, give us a call eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. When we get back, we're going down to Florida. Hey, your homeland, Nick. And I want to talk about some different practices in uh, churches called Churches of Christ. How do we respond to those? Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible State continues right after this. Are you listening? There's going to be a test on this stuff. Stay tuned. The Virtual Bible Study will be right back after this. Hello, my name is Trent Haynes, and I'm a member of the College View Church of Christ. In a scanning of the book of Proverbs, it provides us several reasons to discipline our children. To show you don't hate them. He who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is careful to discipline him. Chapter 13, verse 24. To give them hope. Discipline your son, for in that there is hope. Do not be a willing party to his death. Chapter 19, verse 18. To help them for a lifetime, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old he will not turn from it. Chapter 22, verse 6. To chase away foolishness. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far from him. Chapter 22, verse 15. To save his soul, do not withhold discipline from a child. If you punish him with a rod, he will not die. Punish him with a rod and save his soul from death. Chapter 23, verse 13 through 14. For your own comfort, discipline your child, and he will give you peace. He will bring delight to your soul. Chapter 29, verse 17. 
Parents need to read and understand these passages. So too should our children. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. The latest statistics from the Federal Reserve indicate consumer debt in the United States continues to increase, reaching nearly $3.6 trillion in April of 2016. According to statistics published by the Census Bureau, that works out to over $11,140 in debt for every man, woman, and child that lives here in the United States, and that amount does not include debt associated with mortgages. Roughly 26% of all consumer debt is termed revolving credit. This is credit that is repeatedly available as periodic repayments are made to the lenders. The most common type of revolving credit would be credit card debt. The other 74% of debt is derived from automobile loans, student loans, as well as money borrowed to purchase boats, trailers, and even vacations. That information is via moneyzine.com. The Word of God says in Psalms 37, verse 21, The wicked borroweth and payeth not again. Broadcasting around the world with truths that are out of this world. The Virtual Bible Study. Take it away, guys. And we're back on the top of the hour. Timothy has posted this question on Facebook, he said, about the what the, we should do with the police officer. He got a large response. Uh, look forward to it. Timothy, if you can put some of those in the chat window there, it would be interesting to see some of those responses. Uh, but uh, certainly a good discussion. Now, next question. This one's out of Florida. And, the, and um, the author says, I've visited several churches of Christ in the past that have built recreation centers, kitchens, and have other things like buses and so forth. Are they not doing things? And then he, he goes on to ask, are, are they not doing things that are not authorized in the Bible? In other words, aren't they, aren't they involved in unauthorized activities and therefore are just like the denominations? These congregations are referred to as liberal where I'm a member, we are considered conservative since we have none of those things, but I consider us as being true to our faith and beliefs. Uh, uh, that, that's, I think that's a real interesting question. In fact, I just preached on something similar to that last Sunday night, and I was going to see about putting that sermon on our podcast feed. We didn't get it recorded. What? Yeah, I guess not. Oh. Um, but um, first of all, Nick, would you agree that there might be instances where a church could have a bus or a kitchen, for that matter, and it wouldn't necessarily be wrong? I think uh, in our day and time, uh, you know, we don't have it. uh, What we see of the Scripture authorized is to have uh, limited benevolence to those who are deity saints. What we see in the denominational world, and sometimes even brethren try to compete because they want to, they want to provide for everyone. But if you had uh, sufficient widows or, or yeah. people who needed to t- be taken care of, one one time there was uh, there in the Valdosta area a church that had written us a letter wanting us to uh, be uh, be able to send some money to help the church there uh, feed people on Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. And and I told them I said if we had brethren that were uh, had benevolent needs wouldn't they need more than a thanksgiving dinner you know they need to be have whatever's wrong taken care of and sometimes that's the the, unfortunately what brethren will do they will get in uh practices that goes beyond helping non-saints exactly and uh then they'll they'll have these programs i guess to compete with the denomination world and they actually do things that are unauthorized yeah my point though and you're right on it my point was there might you might could compose a hypothetical situation where there were so many needy saints that the very best way to provide for their benevolent needs, which is an authorized work of the church, would be to have a kitchen to cook meals for them and serve them. It's hard for me to imagine that scenario, but it it might possibly develop. Therefore, you could you know that you you want might want to be a little bit careful about making a blanket condemnation of of a, of a church kitchen. But you'd be pretty safe. If you saw a kitchen to know that it was probably... But that's not what people are doing. Not They're not right. using their kitchens to serve meals to needy saints. They're using their kitchens to provide... Fun and frolic. ...recreation and entertainment to well-fed people who are already well-fed. And that's not authorized. There's no authority for that sort of... Same thing with buses. You know, you could, you could dream up a scenario where maybe... There was such a need of transporting people from here to there, you know, maybe maybe taking needy Christians to to doctor's appointments or whatever. You could potentially devise a scenario where that the most efficient way to handle that would be get a bus to haul them around. It's hard to imagine because we've all got cars. We've got plenty of cars. It, it sure seems like there'd be a, a, a an easier way to do that than to get church in the business of owning a bus. 
And so, again, you might want to be careful about making a blanket condemnation of buses. But the fact of the matter is these churches have buses. That's not what they're using them for. They're using them to take kids to the amusement parks, you know, and, and camps. And that's not an authorized work of the church. And I really think that's what our what our questioner is asking about when he mentions recreation centers, kitchens and buses and so forth. Aren't these things unauthorized? And I would say, yes, they are unauthorized in that sense. And again, we want to make the caveat that you might present a, a scenario where they would be justified on the basis of benevolence. But that's not what these churches are doing. And what they're doing is exactly unauthorized. Now to the next question. Are they not doing things that are unauthorized in the Bible, therefore, just like the denominations? Well, that certainly would be. Well, and 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 the point of that is the very first time that you go beyond scriptural authority, then you're out there in that league with all who violate scriptural authority. If you if you can do one thing without Bible authority, you can do all things without Bible authority. And and so, yeah, that put them in the same category. Now, the other question, we only have a few more minutes. These congregations are referred to as liberal, where I am a member. We are considered conservative since we have none of those things. But I consider us as being true to our faith and beliefs. What about those terms, liberal and conservative? Yeah, those terms have been thrown around for a couple of generations. And, you know, I think most of us have a sense of what we mean by liberal and conservative. They don't really get the job done accurately. And, Nick, you were talking and I were talking about that earlier tonight. Yeah. Yeah. Anytime someone takes liberty to do something God has not authorized like Cain did, uh, then we would call that liberal. They're taking liberty where God has not authorized. And so if that's what we mean, then I, I suppose that's correct. Yeah. But we do need to be careful. But on the other hand, those. really, any time we deviate from the scripture, that's a that's a liberal thing. Mm-hmm. And you could be liberal in a real conservative sort of you way. You could be too conservative. Yeah. You know, yeah. If, if I start binding things that the scripture doesn't bind, you know, yeah. then yeah. then I'm away from the scriptures. You know, some people call that. Well, that's ultra conservative. Well. Whatever term you want to put on it, because none of those terms are biblical necessarily. But actually, it's a departure from the word. Any departure, whether it's somebody who is out here allowing every and every conceivable kind of a thing, he's liberal. But the guy who's binding his own will uh, over God's will and over God's people, he's departed from the truth, too. So he's not conservative. He's just he's just departed from the word in a different way, but he's not he's not he's not really honoring the will of God. Philip in the chat room suggests uh, another way that may be better sound and unsound, maybe better maybe terms so. such as sound doctrine, et cetera. Yeah, and that is biblical. There is that, that yeah. is an expression. Sound doctrine. Yeah, that is a biblical expression. Okay, yeah. sound doctrine would be healthy, or yeah, we would not be adding to or taking from. Exactly right. Sound doctrine. Now, uh, I like what the questioner says here. He says he just considers himself as being true to our faith and beliefs. Well, you know, that's that's important, this idea of faith and beliefs. Faith comes by hearing. Where do we hear? We hear the word of God. Romans 14 tells us that anything we do without faith is sin. So if you can't read about it in the Bible, for instance, the kitchens and the recreation centers for fun and games and frivolity... Those things, you're not doing them because you read about them in the Bible and you've got faith that this is what God wants. Yeah. You're doing something without faith, and it is, by definition, sin. And and I'm like you. I think what he says is really what we want to do is just be true to what the Scripture says. You know, it, it, Labels don't necessarily prove anything. The question is, are you obeying the will of God? And that's what we want to do. Whatever, whatever men want to call that, we want to be just true to the word of god colossians three seventeen, we use that whatever we do in word or deed is to be done all in the name of the lord or by his authority yeah, exactly. if you want to be at the end of the day say i know i did what god wants me to do and if i can't read about it in the bible i can't say that i can't do it by faith yeah all right well we're out of time we're out of time kyle uh, didn't get you tonight any uh closing comments no i think it was a good study some good questions i think we need some more questions so it's, uh, yeah that's right hey there you go put in the plug for the questions <laughs> thanks, thanks right. for your help kyle yeah, thank you nick kyle. nick uh, good to have you here yeah thank you for joining us glad, tonight. We, glad i was able to join in and appreciate your comments and uh dad a good discussion appreciate our listeners again for 
submitting the good questions tonight. Wouldn't have been able to have the program without our listeners. Appreciate those. Yeah. And again, real quick reminder to everybody in in our area, uh, try to join us Saturday at 4 and 7, Sunday regular time, Sunday morning, 2.30, Sunday afternoon. All right. And next week, you get to decide the topic, potentially. Send in your Maybe suggestions. Send in your questions. We got an idea of what we're going to do, but we could change. We do have an idea? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> you have an idea. <laughs> All right. We'll look forward to talking to you this time next week. In the meantime, don't we encourage you to put God first in your life, study his inspired word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the virtual Bible study brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.